Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Now, I just want to be clear with you before we jump into the scripture so you understand what's taking place here. The Apostle John wrote these letters when he was exiled on the island of Patmos late in his life. These are real letters written to real churches and real places and real cities. It's most likely that John had representatives come to him when he was exiled to take these letters and bring them to the churches. These are letters that are penned by John, but it was came from an actual vision that he had of Jesus Christ. These are messages from Christ himself to these churches. When Paul was in the city of Ephesus in the book of Acts, it said that when he was teaching there, there was such... Uh, uh, a revival that these, these teachings spread out through all of Asia Minor. And the result was is that many churches were established and founded, seven of them of which we know right here in the book of Revelation, is that that's what we're working through. Each one of these churches have their own unique personality, their own challenges, their own praise reports and problems. But as I shared before, these are real churches that I believe there is of great purpose and value to why Christ has put these letters in here. And they speak timeless truths to the church today. There, are, there is such weight and such meat that is in these letters that the church today needs to hear. And so we looked at the church of Ephesus the first week, which was the church that fallen from their first love. Smyrna was a church that was in deep hardship, but Christ brought great words of hope in the midst of hardship. Pergamum was a church that was in deep compromise. And today we look at the church of Sardis, the church of Sardis, which is... Uh, what I've entitled today, The Autopsy of a Dead Church. The Autopsy of a Dead Church. And I want you to hear something. We shared this at the beginning of last week. Revelation 1-3. No other book starts this way, and it's worth repeating again. That, that these, this book opens up by saying, Blessed is the one who reads this prophecy aloud. In other words, blessed is the one who reads this word. Blessed is the one who hears it. And blessed is the one who applies it. Meaning actually listens and follows it. Christ speaks some pretty strong words throughout these letters to the churches, but there is such a blessing when we take hold of it and apply it to our lives. And similar to what I shared last week, I truly believe in my heart that as I step back, God just really pricked my heart this week for the church as a whole in this country, that I, I believe as last week was so, so relative to our church, so is this week. And I believe that there is great relevance and great importance to the message that Christ has for this church. There is uh, a famous missionary by the name of Paris uh, Reedhead who came. He was from Minnesota, and he had a, a Christian from China come and visit. And when this uh, Paris Reedhead has now passed away recently, but when, he, uh, when this man came from China, he, uh, he toured the churches of America with him. And this is what the Chinese Christian said. He said that, I am amazed... I am amazed at what the American church can do without the Holy Spirit. He was amazed at how prosperous the church could be, of how many good things they can do, but lack the most important thing, which is the presence of God. He was blown away that, that this church had an appearance of life, but in actuality, it was dead. It was a church that would have had form without force. It was a church that would have had principles and programs which are good but without presence. It was a church that could entertain but not empower. It's a church that can hold uh, many seats. The seats are full, but the hearts are empty. 
And I believe in my heart that that's exactly what is taking place here in the church of Sardis. Christ comes to a church and he even says you have the appearance of life, but in actuality, you're dead. And he speaks a strong message to this church. But I want to encourage you, as we did last week, that the strength of this message is because Christ is so faithful, faithful to his bride. And he desires for us to walk in the fullness that he has called us to be. He desires that we, in particular with this church, be a life-giving church. That when people walk in, they would experience the presence of God because that's what changes lives. And not only that, I believe Christ speaks strongly to this church because he knows of the dangers of a church that has the appearance of life. But in actuality, there's no life transformation taking place. And so many walk through the doors and say, look at all the great things that are taking place. But no one is actually changing. Those that are in need of an oasis in the midst of their desert life, those that are in need of an actual refuge, they come into this place and are sold a bill of goods that this is what the church is, yet they find no spirit and no life. And when push comes to shove and life begins to fall apart, they realize there's no substance to what they have been taught. And Christ wants us to be a life-giving, life-empowered church. So I want you to look with me in your Bibles at Revelation chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And again, we're going to be speaking on the autopsy of a dead church. We'll see what Christ speaks over this. I don't want to give too much background on the church as I normally would. I want to really jump in, but I do want to share this because it's quite interesting that what's taking place with the city ties deeply into what's taking place with the church. The city of Sardis was uh, one of the oldest cities of Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey, uh, probably around 1200 BC is when it was formed. 700 years prior to this letter, the, the city of Sardis experienced its greatest height of its existence. It had a very famous and prominent king by the name of King Croesus, and under him, this was a very wealthy, wealthy city, a very beautiful city. It was prosperous in every single way. It had a unique location. It was uh, uh, set on a, on a hill, or really a mountain, of 1,500 feet up, and so in many ways, it was almost impregnable from any type of attack from the outside. It had a river that was known to have gold in it. This was a prosperous and glorious city. But they, uh, they became very comfortable and thought that they could never be attacked. And over time, they began to deteriorate through wars and through natural disasters. Two in particular, these two earthquakes absolutely devastated this city. And over the centuries, this once glorious, prosperous, beautiful city had completely found itself in a steep decline. Its infrastructure, its, its economic uh, well-being, and its moral well-being was all uh, on, on, a, on a steep decline. And what's quite amazing is that more than maybe any other letter that we go through, the church seems to mirror what's taking place in the culture and the city. It was once a very prosperous, beautiful, a life-giving church, but it now had found itself in a very dead place. And Christ comes to speak to this church, and we'll pick it up again. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. And this is what it says. These are the words of Christ. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. That's Christ who holds this. We'll come back to the importance of that. 
He says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Come to me. Turn to me because I come to you. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious or overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. What beautiful promises. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is such a weighty, weighty word that Christ gives, and I just want to teach on it for a few minutes, and and we'll close in prayer together. But Jesus opens this letter up. We'll come back to how he, what he says about himself, but he opens this letter up by saying, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but actually you're dead. But the interesting thing is, he says, I know your deeds. It implies this was a busy church. They did things. My understanding of a dead church would be one that does nothing, and that's probably true, but this is different. Christ is teaching us something very, very important here, that we need to have spiritual ears to hear it. He says this church is doing many things. It has the appearance of life. You may have heard of the expression, I've heard it many times, a church alive is worth the drive. It's a catchy saying. It's a good saying. It's true, right? It is. If it's a life-giving church flowing in the power of God, you walk in and say, this is different. I don't care if I don't understand everything, but man, something inside of me says this is different. I'm sensing something in this. These people are really seeking after God. You should drive and do whatever you can to get to that place, and I pray that we would be that place. But my fear is that, not that that statement's not true, but that we have lost sight of what an alive church actually looks like. Jesus is teaching us that there's a different measuring stick then what the world typically uses, what he sees and what we see is very different. What we would call a live church, Christ would often say, no, 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 that's not what I look at. And I believe that if you would come to this church, you would see, I, I know from studying it, it was great in size, great in resources, great in ministries, all good things to have. This church was impressive. What would that look like modern day? If you went on their social media, they would have a tremendous following, This place would be exploding. It would be fashionable, full, and busy. If you could find someone, if we could go back to that time and we could enter into Asia Minor and you just stepped on the scene and you ran into someone who's happened to step at every church, all seven that we're working through, and you said, hey, look, I'm I'm new to Asia Minor. Where should I go to church? They would say, you got to check out Sardis. That's the place to be. It has a reputation and a name of being an alive church. And if you remember a few months ago, we shared on Adam for a moment of how God said he formed Adam and he was so meticulous and took his time and there was such beauty in Adam except one problem. Until God breathed the breath of life, the spirit of God on him, he lay there dead. In other words, he had beauty, but he had no life. You can have beauty and have no life. I have walked through that in my own life. Things looked great on the outside. People said, I wish I could be like you, but little did they know I was dying on the inside. And the same goes true for the church today. 
The church, I believe, this is such an important word for us. It's not knocking these things, but it's saying be careful. Don't judge things with, with the world and the human standards that it could look alive. It could be beautiful. But without the spirit of God, there's no life there. It's actually dead. And so I want to be clear on this, though, because I want to make sure that we understand that I'm not just simply saying that if a church has a following, if a church is successful, a church is, is, um, you know, is doing many things, which it should be, that all of a sudden that is uh, demonic or that's, you know, that's not of God because many people are, are gravitating toward it. That's not the case at all. I believe God wants to put people who are walking by the Spirit in places of influence. Just as I would say if there's a place that has no resources, no one attends, uh, there's, things are disorderly, we wouldn't say, well, look, this is of the Spirit. No, no, that's, that's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm talking about is priorities. We are engaged in all of these things. We want to be a place that, uh, that uses everything available, social media, you name it. But what I'm saying is that we must understand that it is by the Spirit. Without the presence of God, it doesn't mean anything. There's no life change that actually takes place. And so this church was accustomed to, to, uh, to doing church, but they lost sight of being the church. They had a reputation and a name that was a good one of being alive, but that reputation and name was with the world. Their reputation with God and their name with God was quite different. And I stand here today to tell you that the only thing that matters is what does God say of this church? It does not matter what other people say. It does not matter if they all rave about it and say, you need to go to home church. That, that does not matter. My concern is what does God say about this church? Are we a life-giving church? Are we truly moving according to the, the things of, of God? The church had a reputation without reality. They needed, they needed the life-giving spirit. That's what they were in need of. It's most likely believed that most in this church were probably not even believers is what they come to, to their conclusion. That many were just in here, which is, which is fine to come in, but many weren't even born again of the spirit. There was spiritual death in there. And those that were had quenched the spirit because they were more concerned. They had more of an appetite for religious routine rather than a life-giving relationship that comes through Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is getting at here. And so he says, I, I, know, I know your deeds. Again, he implies that this was an active church. It blew my mind because I, I've always thought, wait, if you're doing many things, if you have that type of reputation, if you have many followers, clearly you must be life-giving and Jesus says that's not the case. In fact, he says this. Later on, he says that your deeds are unfinished in the sight of my God. In other words, or he may say they're not completed. In other words, what Jesus is, is saying is that they're not fulfilling. They're not satisfactory. They aren't uh, acceptable before God. And that began to make me really think, well, how, what does that mean about these works then? And look, I think the easy thing you could just teach on very surface levels, but this is hard to discern, I believe. This is why we, we, we have to be a people of, of the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, because they're, they're doing works. But the question is, I, and what I think, is that it's not works birthed from the Spirit. It's works that are birthed from men, man agendas, the mindset of the world, worldly values. We're not living by kingdom principles and kingdom values. And Jesus says they're doing deeds, but it's not, it's, not, it's not a life of faith. They're not operating with eyes of faith. They don't have the empowerment of the Spirit they don't have the mind of Christ. They don't have the heart of the Father. Yes, they do things, but it's worldly, worldly deeds. In other words, anyone who has a little bit of self-determination and brains could do these. 
That's what Christ's getting at, because only the work, only the works of the Spirit can be done when we walk intimately and depending on the Spirit. The question we have to ask ourselves in our life and in ministries in the church that we're in, and I say this is not, this is not on me, all of us committed to this church is, if the Holy Spirit would back away from this, would it collapse? Because if it wouldn't, what's really running this? What's really fueling this? If the Spirit said, I don't need to be there, yet we could still put on all of this and do all of this, there's something deeply wrong. And my heart is, what I've been stirred for this week is that I believe, not to, not to come from elitist, but that there are many, many churches of America that we have resorted to that. The Spirit is gone, yet we go through the form and the function, and yet there is no force there. There is absolutely no presence there. We need the Holy Spirit. And I want to teach on this for just a moment. Without the Holy Spirit... There's neither church nor the Christian. Life is impossible without the Spirit. I want to share, it's not just a short quote, it's, it's a little bit of an excerpt, but it's so good that I, I just had to share it because I would just absolutely just mess it up. So Samuel Chadwick, who is, I just discovered him as I was just studying this week, but uh, man, there's so many, so many powerful men and women of the faith. You go back and man, just, just so filled with the Spirit. And it's like when you read it, it's like a wake up, like, oh my goodness, what have I been going after the, for, for the last few weeks or whatever? Like, it just hits you and it's just life hits you and you realize, man, this is, this is the truth. And he shared a, a, an excerpt on basically the church cannot exist without, without the spirit. And this is what he says. Just listen to these few lines. He says, the church always fails at the point of self-confidence. Religious services and organized institutions do not constitute a Christian church. And these may flourish without the gifts of Pentecostal fire. In other words, he says, just because we assemble and have services and have an institution here where people gather, that's not what makes it a church. It must be born of the Spirit, flowing in the power of the Spirit. And he says this, when the church is run on the same lines as a circus, there may be crowds, but there's no Shekinah. In other words, there can be many people, but there's no glory of God. We could all come in and many can be attracted and say, this church has a name, a reputation of life, but there's no glory that's actually resting in that place. He says the church that is man-managed instead of God-governed is doomed to failure. A ministry that is college-trained but not spirit-filled works no miracles. It means you could have all the things you want up here, but unless we're empowered of the Spirit, and this is good, we should study, don't get me wrong, I study often, but unless we are born again of the Spirit, Dependent on the Spirit, it says there's no, there's no life that's flowing from here. He says the church that multiplies committees and neglects prayer may be fussy and noisy, but it labors in vain and spends its strength for naught. It is possible to excel in mechanics and fail in dynamic. There is a superabundance of machinery. In other words, there's a superabundance of programs and principles. We have many things. It says what is wanting is power. To run an organization needs no God. Man can supply the energy, enterprise, and enthusiasm for things human. The real work of a church depends upon the power of the spirit. The energy of the flesh can run markets, organize amusements, and raise millions. But it is the presence of the Holy Spirit that makes a temple of the living God. And my heart is to take heed to that and that we would be a church that goes after this. That we would be a church that, yes, 
wants to excel and move with excellence, but that we would be committed, committed to being a church that has the presence of God, committed to the Holy Spirit. Do you understand, or maybe do you remember, do you remember how the church was founded? Where was the church founded? Pentecost, Acts. And how was it founded? The Spirit was poured out on these men and women in the upper room praying. In other words, literally, the foundation and the formation of the church is by the Spirit, which means Christ is... The reason why he says, don't go anywhere until you have received power from on high, he is teaching us something, that the only necessary equipment for the church is the Spirit. He says, go without anything. Worship equipment, Awesome, let's use it. We're blessed to have it. Bagels, it's great. We have fellowship. But he says, listen, if there's one thing you can't afford to move forward without, it's the Spirit of God. He says, literally, the church is, doesn't exist without it. It is the Spirit that brings about the formation of the church. And yet I fear that many churches are operating with the one thing they must have, the one thing to actually change a life. Education, you know, we can... We can Talk about things that, that will cause us to be civil, but only, only the Spirit convicts. Only the Spirit leads us into truth. And Jesus said an incredible statement that I've shared often as of late because it's so touched me. Uh, we shared it at the Love Day rally. I don't know if I've shared it here, but it's worth just saying again. Jesus said something really incredible before he left to his disciples he said, I think it's in John 14 too. He says, truly I tell you, anyone who believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. What? Anyone who believes in me? Jesus is setting up what life should look like. He says, anyone who believes in me, have you seen my life? Do you see the authority that I walk with? Do you see the way that I was, do you see the way I love people? Do you see the principles I live by? Do you see the power that I live by, the way I could heal? He says, that, that's, that's what I want for you. I'm, I'm giving an example of the way life should be. But then he goes further. He says, actually, you'll do even greater works than I've been doing. And his reason why is because I'm going to the Father. What does that have to do with greater works? Because when Jesus goes to the Father, the Spirit is poured out. Jesus is making a connection that the greater things are connected to the Spirit of God. And therefore, I believe what God is looking for is not a church and not a people that are going to do more for God, but that are going to allow God to work through them. God is looking for a people to give more attention to the power that lives inside of them in order that we could see those greater things. And I believe what Jesus is teaching is that the lifestyle that he lived, that should be normal for us. That's, a, that's I mean, that rocks me. <laughs> but all I know is just lately, I've always said, like, I want to go for it. I'm just tired of even talking about it. I want to go for it. I'm tired of passing by the person on the street where I know God says, I want to do something. You're going to witness something right now. And I'm saying, I, I, I can't do it. I thank God for his grace, but I just feel like God's like, go for it. I feel like for a church, like, let's go for this. Jesus has made something available. Let, let's, let's change the way we spend time with him. Let's change the way we read the word. Let's change our focus when we come here to say, Jesus, I'm here for you. Like, let's go for this. And we will see, I believe, that glory and that presence and I know that lives will be deeply transformed. The Spirit is often looked at as the Cinderella of the Trinity. It's the one that's left out. And I'm so guilty of that. In fact, you know, early on in, in church history, they actually thought the Spirit wasn't even divine. Many challenged that. We talk about Father, Son, but the Spirit 
how important it is. Do you know that you cannot separate the work of Christ and the work of the Spirit? Jesus' name is Jesus Christ. That's not first and last name. Christ is a title, anointed one, full of the Spirit. That's why his mission was inaugurated in Luke 4.18 when he got up in the temple and reads a prophetic word about himself that says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Right To preach, proclaim the good news, to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind. If you look through the life of Jesus, you will find that at his conception, uh, baptism, temptation, uh, uh, when he went into the, to the wilderness, the way he was directed through his life, when he was resurrected from the dead, all of it is in connection to the Spirit. Jesus, listen to this, Jesus willfully, he enters into this world and he empties himself right? He lays down who he is in order to become de- totally dependent on the Spirit. Why? Because he was living the life that we were meant to live. He's showing us this is what it looks like. Listen to me, Jesus, he's called the firstborn of what? A new creation. Jesus has literally started a new creation, man, full of the Spirit, in full communion with God, born of the Spirit, moving by the power of the Spirit. Jesus is saying, hey, I've started something new, and everyone that follows, Jesus says, you can live like I live. In fact, that is, that is what, we, what is expected. And I believe that so many people come in the church and leave after a while because there's something inside of them that says, man, there's something missing. If God is who he says he is, then we should expect to see something different here, yet this feels like it's any other social club. If God is who he says he is, then I would, I would expect to, to see the things. I don't want the scriptures to be something I just learn. I want to experience the scriptures. And I believe that there is a longing in us for a good reason because that is available for us to live like this. Jesus' struggle over, over sin, it wasn't a fake struggle and victory. He really took on the flesh. And how did he conquer it? Empowered by the Spirit. He's teaching us and showing us how to live completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. And so I think it's no wonder that Christ comes to this church. And look how he, he, he introduces himself in the very first verse. He says, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The seven stars most likely are some type of leadership. Some say angels, some say the ministers of these churches, but either way, he's saying, I have full control of this church, but the seven spirits of God. Oh, this is quite interesting because this church that lacks life, Jesus makes a pretty powerful proclamation here. The seven spirits of God is the sevenfold spirit. It's not, it's not an entourage of spirits. It's one spirit, the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the spirit, and Jesus says, I possess that, and the one that comes to you has the fullness of the spirit. It's from Isaiah 11.2. Let me read it to you. We'll pull it up on the screen. It's speaking of Jesus. Look, the spirit of the Lord, that's one, will rest on him, meaning the Messiah. The spirit of wisdom, of understanding, of counsel, of might, of knowledge, and fear of the Lord or worship. Jesus comes with all of that. He has the fullness of the spirit, and he comes to this church. And I love it because it is such a message of hope. Because Jesus isn't playing hide and seek. And I want you to know that. That if you're here today and you are in need of living water, if you're in need of the breath of life, Jesus isn't trying to hide and and you got to try to find. He literally comes to them. How much more than if we were to seek him? 
he comes here and says, I want to give you life. I want you to be a life-empowering church. That is my heart. That's why I'm coming to you, because you are not living in the fullness of your calling. And so Christ in this picture is literally, he's pictured as someone who is life-giving. And here's what he's teaching. If the church is dead, if your life is dead, if you fall into spiritual comatose, a spiritual rigor mortis, a spiritual lethargy, what he's teaching is you do not go into more activities. You must come to me. I am life itself. I possess the fullness of life. Don't run around in busyness. He is saying, come to me. And because he has the fullness of the spirit, oh, this is what I love what God was showing me. He has an everlasting, infinite life source. He never runs out. He never runs dry, which means whether it's the first time or to be filled daily, he says, come again and again and again and allow me to make you look more and more like me. What a beautiful promise that Jesus gives. He is life, and he comes to the church and says, come to me. As I just get ready to close here, he says this. He says that there's blessings to the person that overcomes. In verse 5, he says there's blessings to those that are born of the Spirit and moved by the Spirit. And he says to those who are victorious, to those who overcome. What, is, what does that mean, overcome? Well, the writer of Revelation is John, who also has several letters. And in 1 John 5, 5, he actually poses this question and answers it for us. John says this, who is it that overcomes the world? Question mark. Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus teaches us that the key to all of this in the starting point is faith in Jesus. That's why Jesus says, look, he told Nicodemus, you were born once of a natural birth. You must be born again of a spiritual birth. That's where it starts. And once you have that, Jesus says, you are victorious. You are an overcomer. And here's what he says flows from that. Three things. He says, when you put your faith in Jesus, you receive white garments. Ah, oh, there's so much to it, but... It's, it's a clothing of purity and innocence. It's clothing of victory. It's what it's speaking to. It's clothing of, of festivity. We wear white gowns at a wedding. It's speaking to marriage with Jesus, intimacy with him, dining with him. At, at the overcomer's banquet, Jesus says, and you put your faith in me. All of these are yours. He says that our name is written in the book of life, and he'll never erase it. Listen to me. The church roll call is very different and not always identical to the book of life. What's in the church membership is not always what's in the book of life. That's what he's teaching here. That's a strong truth. But I want you to understand what he's saying. He says, unless you're born of the Spirit, you can be in this church. It does not matter. That's where life comes. Do you know that in, this, in the Roman government, what would often happen is if you died or if you committed a serious crime, they would wipe you away from the book of the living, their census. But Jesus says, you put your faith in me, I'll never erase your name from the book of life. Come on, what a beautiful promise he gives us. And last, he says, Christ says, I'll acknowledge you before my Father and before angels. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I just believe in my heart that Jesus wants us to be a life-giving, life-empowered church and people. And I really believe that there is such a prime opportunity right now in our country for us as a body to really grab hold of this and live according to the truth of Scripture. I believe deep down, people are longing to experience the fullness of church, to really walk in and see the things that Christ has made available for us. And Jesus gives three warnings 
to three different types of groups of people I believe in this. And I just want you to hear this and let this, the Lord speak to you. And then we're just going to close in a song of worship here. But I believe he says three things. To one, he says he speaks to the dead. Those that have never put their faith in Jesus, spiritually dead. He says this in the scripture. He says, wake up. Repent. He's saying, come to an awareness of your surroundings. Understand your situation. Jesus is saying, come to me. I'm life. Wake up while there's still time. He says, come to me. I long to be with you. That's why you're here today. If you don't know him, he wants to be intimate with you. He says to the sleeping, those that have been born again of the spirit but have fallen into a spiritual comatose, he says, remember and repent. In other words, go back to when you first heard. If you have been drifting, you find yourself spiritually just feeling really lethargic, he says, go back and remember when you first received the good news and you first were born again and go back to that place. He's teaching us that this is so important. Drifting, this is what I found in my spiritual life. Drifting never leads me to a place that I want to be. We have to be intentional, intentional. If we want to be where, where, where the Lord is, is calling us to be, it, it takes intentionality, drifting. I always find myself when I drift spiritually saying, man, this is not a good place for me right now. And Christ is saying, come back. If you find yourself there, he wants to bring you back to come to that life source. And then he speaks to the faithful of the church. There's a small group there. But he speaks to the faithful. And he says, be strengthened. Hold to the truth. I believe it's the word to say, be filled again. Be the light. Be, be, be those that uh, example to the rest of the church there. I'll tell you what. If there's anyone who could speak on, on raising things from the dead, I think it's Jesus. We should take heed to his word. He's got some experience in raising dead things. And I'm telling you right now, his heart is that all here will experience that resurrected life. So I'm just going to ask that you stand with me here. And I don't know where you find yourself today. Maybe it's the one that's spiritually dead that just needs to confess the name of Christ, come to that understanding. Maybe it's the one that's in that spiritual stupor just have kind of drifted and God, God wants to awaken you. The invitation is now, today, he wants to do it. If it's the faithful, he's saying, don't, don't be satisfied. Go deeper. Go deeper with me. And we're going to close with a song right here. I don't care if you stay in your seats. If you want to come forward, we're not going to have anyone pray for you. I don't care where you go, but this is not a time just to, oh, we close with a song and, and then we'll go home. No, no. I want to direct our hearts to God for a moment. Because all of us, there's somewhere where we find ourselves with this, with this letter that Christ has. And I'm asking just for these last few minutes to, to open our hearts to God wherever you find yourself. And say, Jesus, fill me. Jesus, don't let me leave the same place. If you don't know him, he's asking you and calling you to say, confess my name. Come to understand that I am the truth. I am what you long for. He wants to fill you today. Thank you for listening to Home Church's podcast. To go deeper into the message, text DEEPER to 66866. If you would like to give to this ministry, you can text the amount to 631-693-4176 or visit us at myhomechurch.org backslash give.